There are some big moments in my life that I know I will never forget. I remember my wedding day when I saw at the back of the church the doors opened and in walked my beautiful bride. And there she just walked through the back doors of the church. So that was quite appropriate. But I remember seeing her that day and I remember thinking that my life would never be the same again. I remember a few years later when we found out that we were pregnant. And by we, I mean her, obviously. But again, in that moment as we were celebrating, I knew that our lives would never be the same again. I remember a couple months later when we went to the doctor and found out that Luke was going to have incredible challenges and that we would forever be a medical family. I remember thinking that our life would never be the same. And all of you have moments like that in your lives too, right? Points in your life where you can look at and you can say, at this moment in my life, on this particular day, when this particular event happened, I knew my life would be changed completely. Okay, sometimes it's a great change, sometimes it's tragic, but we have points in our life where we can look and we say, here, the story changes. Right, today we finish our study of the book of Romans. Okay, we've actually been in Romans since May which is an incredibly long time to have a sermon series, but I certainly appreciate your patience with me through this series because I think that this is incredibly important. Okay, but today this comes to an end. And if you only get one thing out of the entire book of Romans, I hope that you will understand that what Paul is doing in this great letter is he's pointing to a particular moment in time. He's pointing to the gospel moment. The moment of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's claiming that Jesus is the moment when everything changed. Jesus is the ultimate watershed moment. This is the point. This is the point in history where we can look and we can say here is when everything changed. I want you to notice how Paul finishes this letter. Notice the very final paragraph. Chapter 16, verse 25. He says, now, to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Very clearly, Romans is explaining to us the gospel story. If you only write down one thing this morning, if there's only one thing you take away from today, let it be this. Romans is telling us the gospel story. You know, a few days ago, uh, again, when I had the two boys in the car with me, which tends to be where lots of my stories come from, right? As I'm driving around my two sons, as they're having conversations with each other, I get lots of sermon material. Okay, but Luke was talking about how after school, he was going to have to go to the doctor. And Sam pipes up and he says, Daddy, aren't you a doctor? I said, well, yes, son, but I'm not that kind of doctor. It's, it's totally different. And he says, well, Dad, why did you be a doctor? I said, well, son, for lots of reasons. One reason I went back to school is because I wanted us to, to be able to move to Georgia. And he thought about that for a long moment. And finally he said, well, Dad, did you not know where it was? 
That's the way my three-year-old's brain works, right? And if you've ever had little kids, you know what that's like. As you watch them take information that they're learning, and they're learning stuff all the time, they're taking all this information from their world, and they're trying to put it into a story that makes sense. That's the way we work as people, and we don't grow out of that when we become adults. What we continue to do is we take in all this data from the world around us, and we try to fit it into stories, We have to tell stories in order to make sense of our world. So never underestimate the power of story. The way that you act, the way that you think, the things that you believe, the relationships that you have are all completely dependent on what kind of stories you tell yourself to make sense of the world around you. It is not overly simplifying things to say that you live and die by your stories. And ultimately, I tell you all this because it gets directly to the question of worldview. What is the ultimate meta-narrative, the big story? What is the foundational story that you build the rest of your world on? We've all got a story at our foundation. And the way that you exist as a person is dependent upon what story you build your life on. Okay, and that worldview story, whatever foundational story you tell yourself about how everything works, answers the most important questions in your life. Okay, here's what I mean. There's five basic worldview questions, and you could probably add some to this list. This just came out of my own head. There's nothing magical about this list of five. But your worldview at least answers these five questions. Okay, worldview is more than this, but it's certainly not less. All right, here's five worldview questions that your big story will answer. Okay, question number one. How did we get here? Okay, which is incredibly important because that speaks to purpose. The reason that we exist in the world will lead us to, so why should we exist in the world? What should we be doing in the world? Okay, second big question is why is there evil in the world? Okay, in other words, as we live, we experience pain, we experience suffering. We know that not everything is right. So why is it that not everything is right? Okay, third question. How can we be happy? Or how can we find fulfillment? How can we achieve our goals? How can we find contentment? Our fourth big worldview question is what group am I a part of? In other words, where do I belong? Who are my people? How do we define us and them? Because there's always an us and them. There's always my people and then there's others. Now, maybe we treat those others really well, maybe we don't treat those other wells, but there's always somebody who's my people, and then there's people who are not my people. Fair enough? Okay. Final question, uh, who is Lord? Okay. Who's really in charge? Who determines the priorities of my life? Okay. You will follow somebody or something, there's always a Lord. The only big question is, who is Lord? Now, People in various times in history have answered these questions in a lot of different ways, right? I mean, you think about the world Paul lived in when he's writing to Romans, to the Romans, right? In the Roman Empire, in Paul's day, there's upwards of 50 million people, right? And there's a lot of different ways 
that people could answer these five fundamental questions. Okay, and obviously not everybody thought the same way, but for the most part, when Paul was living, there were socially acceptable, everybody agrees upon answers for how we can answer these five questions. There is a common, everybody just kind of knows it's true, worldview that Paul lives in. Okay? For the first question, how did we get here? Well, we got here because a long time ago, there were these really large forces, things like chaos and the earth and the sky. And all of these big forces gave birth to the titans. And eventually, we get the gods. And then there's this great cosmic battle between the gods and the titans, and Zeus rallies all the gods and throws down the titans. And then somewhere in all of that is kind of an afterthought, some combination of gods and titans. We're not really sure what, but they created human beings as kind of an afterthought. Okay? The gods put us here as something of an afterthought. But we are far below all of those different gods. Okay, so... Why is there evil in the world? Okay, the short answer for this is fate. All right? Humans get caught up in all of the capriciousness of the gods, all of these powers that are so much bigger than we are. We are small players on the world stage, and all the big players are doing all of this stuff. We get caught up in all of their fussing and fighting, and so there's suffering and evil that exists in the world because of that. So, how can we be happy? All right? Fundamentally, the answer is stay out of the, the way of the gods. Okay? Don't attract their attention. You don't want them to notice you. All right? And different philosophers would answer very differently how we then can be happy. Some say we need to put all of our emotion away from us and not have any emotion. Some say we need to embrace all of our emotion and feel everything. Okay? The fundamental answer is it's very complicated. Okay? But what we really want to do, if we want to be happy, is make sure that the gods don't punish us. Right? That's how to be happy. All right, now, what group am I part of? Who's us? Who's them? Well, that depends, right? Are you a Roman citizen? Are you slave? Are you free? Are you part of the aristocracy? Are you a peasant? All right, but no matter how you answer those questions, it is very clear who's us and who's them. Because you were born into a group of people, and with very few exceptions, that's not going to change. Okay? Who your people are is whatever group you're born into. Now, who is Lord? Well, that's very easy. That's Caesar. We all know the answer to that question. Everybody knows who's in charge. Everybody knows who we're following. Everybody knows who is determining our course as people, whether we're in the Roman Empire or not. Everybody knows Caesar is Lord. All right, now, we look at this list of answers and we think, oh, those silly people, how could they possibly believe such nonsense? Okay? Now, what I would suggest to you is that our modern culture hasn't really gotten a whole lot better answers to these questions. All right, let's look for just a quick second. How our modern world would like to answer these questions if we're assuming that the Christian answer is wrong, okay? If we assume that all of these Jesus people can't be right, they must be wrong about this, then what answers do we supply to these big worldview questions? Well, how did we get here? Well, there's a perfectly rational scientific explanation of evolution for how we got here, and the great thing about this answer is that it doesn't require your imaginary bearded man in the sky. 
Okay, what happened is, a long time ago, the universe expanded from an infinitesimally small point, and then out of the primordial goo that eventually came up, um, life just happened for no reason whatsoever, and then evolved for no reason whatsoever over the course of billions of years, and then we get people eventually out of all of that who are absolutely no different than any of the animals around us. The only difference between us and them is our brains work better than theirs do, right? That's how we got here which is a much better story than the titans and the gods, right? All right. So why is there evil in the world? Okay, well, if we're purely evolutionary beings, if that's all there is to it, then evil doesn't really exist, right? You have been socially conditioned to believe that some outcomes are better than others. Or maybe evil does exist, but the concept of good and evil evolved only because it's somehow linked to our survival needs. Okay? Now, if you think that the problem of answering for evil in the world is difficult for the Christian, it is a whole lot harder if you don't have God at all. Because even the categories don't make sense if there's no God. So the only real answer for this for a modern, a purely modern culture, is that evil doesn't really exist. Okay? So, how can we be happy? That's easy. You chase pleasure, right? And if you get enough pleasure, if you get the right kinds of pleasure, and if you get enough of whatever it is that is really the goal of your life, whether it's money, sex, or power, or whatever, if you get enough pleasure, then you can be happy. Are you unhappy? Figure out how to increase your pleasure, Maybe you need to work harder to get more money. Maybe you need to be more attractive so that you can get more sex. Maybe you need to climb higher on the social ladder so you can get more power. Whatever it is, you need to chase it a little bit harder. And if only you could get that thing, then you'd be happy. Okay, what group am I a part of? Question four. All right, we start asking this question in middle school. Okay, and then we spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out who's us and who's them because us and them keeps changing. Okay, it's fluid is the short answer. Right? Sometimes us and them, it's the people I work with, the people I don't. Sometimes it's people in my political party who are us. Sometimes it's people who root for my same sports team that makes up us. Sometimes it's people who are my age or who are my ethnicity or who are my biological family. Okay, but us and them is fluid because we have great social mobility, right? Greater social mobility than anybody's ever had before in the history of the world. And so us and them is always changing. And one of our great struggles as modern people is figuring out who's us and who's them. Right? Final question. Who is Lord in this scheme? Well, easy answer. I am. Right? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I mean, yes, we have leaders. Okay, but if I don't like my boss or my politician or my preacher, then I'll try to get a new one. Okay, and if I can't do that, then on some level, I'll just rebel against the one that I have. Okay, but at the end of the day, who's really in charge? It's me, right? Now, hopefully, as we've studied the book of Romans, as we've looked at how Paul lays out the gospel story, we see that for the Christian, for someone who recognizes the significance of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, all of this changes. 
We don't have to be caught in that Roman understanding of the, the gods up there and fate and all of that. We don't have to be caught in me being my own Lord. We don't have to be caught up in all of this chasing pleasure that the world would feed to us. Okay? We have a different answer to the questions. Okay, how did we get here? Okay, a loving, all-powerful God created us. Right? We are not an afterthought. We are not a happenstance. We are valued children of God. Why is there evil in the world? Because of sin. Sin broke God's perfect creation. Evil is very real, and it's not capricious. We know why it exists. It's because of sin. So how can we be happy? Well, ultimately, we get to be part of God's Messiah plan to put the broken world in creation back to right. God has put a plan in motion since the very beginning of time to send His Messiah, and you and I get to be part of that plan. Through the faithfulness of Jesus, the world is already in the first stages of being put back to right. So how do we find fulfillment? Ultimately, we get it through dying to self. Okay? And we redefine the question fundamentally. Right? We would have a much deeper answer than saying we chase happiness. We chase the peace of God. We chase shalom. And it's different than what the world thinks of as just happiness. Hey, what group am I part of? The church. Hey, all of those who share this faith with us are the us. And everyone who doesn't know Jesus is the them. And we are on a mission to love them and try to help as many of them become us as possible. So we redefine categories. We don't have enemies. We have people who need to know the truth and the love that we have. Us and them is very easy for the Christian. Okay, and finally, who is Lord? Well, it's Jesus. We follow a crucified and resurrected Lord. I contend that the book of Romans is all about the gospel story. And Paul is taking us through chapter after chapter showing us how the gospel story answers the questions better than any other story that the world will ever supply. I firmly believe in the power of story and I believe that the Jesus story is the only true, only foundational, only liberating story capable of helping you live the kind of life that God created you to live. It's story. Does that work? All right, I want you to notice what else Paul says towards the end of this letter. Go back up to verse 17. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Okay, I think the final caution that Paul gives as he's signing off on this letter, the final thing he wants us to remember is that we need to stick with our gospel story. Because Paul knows that what inevitably happens is that we start doubting the story that we know and we start listening to voices that tell us a different story. Okay? And Paul says those voices will come from inside the church and outside the church. 
people that will try to take us away from those worldview-forming stories that we know to be true. Okay, so I know that true contentment comes in dying to myself. But man, there are a lot of voices out there telling me I need to chase pleasure. So what I do is I think, well, I know that I should die to myself, but in this particular instance, I'm going to chase pleasure instead. You know, I know that the group that I am a part of, that I belong to, is the church. But man, there's a lot of pressure from other groups that want my allegiance and tell me that they will accept me if I will be part of them. So what do we do? We divide on racial lines or political lines or on economic lines because I want to be true to us. And of course, the ultimate struggle is that I firmly believe that Jesus is Lord But I'm also very independently minded, I'm very rebellious, and so very often I will say, yeah, Jesus, I know that you're Lord, but today, I want to be Lord instead. That's what we do. The final warning in Romans is you stick with your gospel story. Number three, Paul also tells us to be a gospel people. We won't read all of it, but I want you to notice, if you are looking at your Bible, how the majority of Romans chapter 16 is Paul greeting numerous people. Okay, And most of the people that he greets in this list, we don't know of from anywhere else in the New Testament. We don't know who these people are. For us, they will remain a mystery. Okay, But there are some very interesting things on this list. Notice starting in verse 1. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sincrea, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Right? Paul calls her a deacon, a servant of the church. It seems like she's the one delivering this message from Paul, carrying this letter, um, probably from Corinth to Rome. Paul says she's also a benefactor, someone who's willing to put her money into this gospel story. Okay, notice some others on this list. Verse 10. He says, Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. All right, so just think about all of these names, all of these people Paul is writing to. Because here in this church in Rome, we read about people who are opening up their homes. There's probably five different churches that Paul is addressing in this list. None of these churches would have had more than about 20, 30 people meeting in their house. Okay, we're not talking about this great, huge church that exists in Rome. We're talking about a very small group of people. But Paul talks about them like they are so much more important than all those big buildings where the Senate meets and where they make all of these decisions that affect millions of people. That's not what's important. What's important are these small little house churches. On this list, we have both men and women. In fact, a third of the people that Paul lists are women. We have Greek names. We have Latin names. We have Jewish names. On this list, we have slaves. We have freedmen. We have some people on this list who are obviously wealthy. They're more aristocratic. We have a great variety of people that Paul addresses. Last night, uh, like many of you, I watched the Falcons dismantle the Seahawks, okay? And it was great, right? And I watched as they panned the crowd, and you could hear everyone screaming, rise up, okay? 
And in that crowd, there were rich people. There were poor people. There was every shade of people. There was old people. There were young people. Okay, but all of those people, unless they were the scattering of Seahawks fans that got lost somewhere, okay, all of those people were screaming in unison. Why? Because they all shared a common goal. Beat the snot out of Seattle, right? Now, what makes it possible for so many different kinds of people, people who probably wouldn't normally hang out with each other, wouldn't normally associate with each other, wouldn't all be friends with each other, don't live in the same neighborhoods with each other, what makes it possible for that variety of people to come together and be together? There was a common purpose. There was a common story. This is our football team and we're going to cheer them on, right? There's a common identity. The identity forming those people last night in the Georgia Dome was Falcons fans, right? We knew who we were. Now, and while I'm glad that Atlanta won, okay, and while I will cheer for them to win a Super Bowl, in about six months from now, nobody's going to care, right? Why? Because it's a game, and I know this is kind of heretical to say in the South, but football ultimately doesn't matter. I know. But it's true. Why? Because it's a game. Okay, the story that we are part of by being part of the life and the death and the burial and the ultimate resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's a story that matters. That's a story that can unite people. That's a story that they've been talking about for thousands of years. That's a story that has the power to transform an entire empire 2,000 years ago and has the power to transform our world today. Are we letting that gospel story be our foundational story that shapes everything that we do? I think that's the ultimate question of Romans. All right, at this time in our service, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. During the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. If there's anything that we can talk about with you or pray about with you, we would love to do that with you during the singing of this song. And before we sing that song, though, I'd like to speak a word of blessing over us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace.